Well, good morning, good morning, church. How are we doing? Several, uh, several years ago, um, my son-in-law, TJ Camden, um, was being deployed to, we didn't know where, you know, your, your property, the U.S. government at that point. Uh, he, he was a Marine and uh, did uh, four years in the Marine Corps. And uh, so we all went down. He was on his first deployment. Picture a big parking lot. And it's just full of people and it's full of green guys and green gear and guns. And they're putting their, and they're getting on the bus, which will take them to the ship, which will take them across the waters. And you think about, my goodness, what are we asking this young man to do? Uh, here, you, you, you take this gun, go over there where there's bad guys shooting at you, and you can shoot at them and, and uh, live in the sand at 105 degrees, and, and uh, here, I'll give you $19,000 a year. It's like, you know, wow. You don't join the military to get rich, that's for sure. So I wanted to just take a, there was not a dry eye in that, in that parking lot that day as we put him on that bus. And then I think about my, my son, Ben. Uh, he... Uh, we watched him at Fort Meade when he raised his hand and uh, was sworn in into the Coast Guard for six years. Those of us who aren't in the military, and I'm not, we just kind of look and glimpse over into the sacrifices being made by others that just are astounding. We, we don't even understand. You know, for, for Mary to be home having a baby while TJ's somewhere in the sand, that's all we knew, you know. It's, just, it's unthinkable. So if you've served our U.S. military, could you stand and could we thank you this morning for your service? Trevor, others. Thank you. Thank you. This morning we continue in our series in James. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn there with me. We, uh, on the topic of wisdom this morning... Um, have you ever known someone who was wise? Wise. Do you know a wise person? Not a wise guy. No, we don't want him. We, we want a man who, or a woman who, who knows how to live. How do, how do we live? See, see, wisdom is wearing working clothes, isn't it? It's, it's what are the character qualities that come to mind? And, and don't reach for your degrees or your academic status. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about intellect. We're talking about wisdom. Do we know how to live, saints? Practical, every day. It's not all the, the funny initials behind your business card. We're not looking for those this morning. Practical. Hired a mechanic lately. You know, I'm beside myself. I cannot get this thing to run. He comes, says, oh, it's this wire right here. Connect it up. 20 minutes later and 25 cents worth of electrical wire, and he's fixed it. Man, practical. That's what you need, right? How do I make this thing work? I don't care about where you went to school or how many, you know, I, I, I could care less. Can you make this thing work? Can you get the hot water turned back on, right? A plumber, a mechanic, something who knows how something works. Can you fix it? See, wisdom gives us the knowledge and the understanding to make life work, right? To have fewer lifetime regrets. To have fewer shipwrecks of bad decisions, of poor moral choices that have tragic consequences, to live a deep, a life of deep relationships and lifelong commitments. That's what we want, right? Ecclesiastes 10.10 gives us a good illustration. Now, Stephen, got to help me here. Stephen's been helping me for 
years now. We've, we've done a lot of work together. I love this man. Now, now tell me about this. What do you see? Uh, it's very dull. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't look like it would cut much of anything, does it? No. Okay. So we need to sharpen it, right? We need to sharpen it. That's what wisdom does. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, uh, says, if the axe is dull, you have, to, you have to swing it harder. You have to work harder. No, no, no. Work smarter, not harder, right? Have wisdom. Sharpen your mind. Sharpen your mind with the word of God. That's what we're going to do this morning. That's our hope. Ecclesiastes 10.10. Jesus, when he speaks to the crowd, he says, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Wisdom is practical. It's worked out. Some qualities of a wise person. Have you you thought about that wise person that you might have? Perhaps someone in your life now, a loved one. I think about my grandmother. I don't even know if she could read. Uh, I never saw her read anything. But... uh, but boy, she was a wise person. She knew how to live. People who know how to live well, they're gentle, they're humble, they smile a lot, they're joyful. They value relationships. They're kind, they're generous. They invest in other people with gifts, with time, with money, things that they give away. The wise, piece of, wise people have a relationship with God. They have a, an abiding, vibrant faith that sustains them through the hard times. They understand themselves, too. Uh, wise people are able to wrestle and subdue their shadows. They're not given to addictions. They're self-controlled. They accept responsibility for their own lives. And they've accepted life's hardships with grace. I met a woman this week that um, uh, went to her house, and she comes to the door completely bald. And uh, she's going through cancer chemotherapy, five months of it. And uh, she says, you know what? I would never have chosen cancer, but in in an odd sort of way, I'm glad I had it, that it's taken me through a path with support, with friendships, with people who have loved her and cared for her, and it's deepened her faith in God. She said, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Wow, that's a wise person. There's not many of us who, who... who can accept life's hardships with that kind of grace. Wise people have foresight. They have confidence in the future. They trust in their God. And they recognize that I was made by a creator and I have to give an account. I I live my life with a view towards eternity, knowing that I have to be accountable for how I spend my days, how I invest my time, the things I've given my life to. That's a wise person. Our prayer this morning, Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4 says, By wisdom a house is built. By knowledge, understanding, it's established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Lord, we just ask that you would fill our home today. Fill our minds with your wisdom, we ask. For you give it freely, and we ask you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get in the text a little bit, huh? We'll read through James 3. And reading here from the New Living Translation, it says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, by doing good works in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up by 
Don't cover up the truth by boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Those kind of things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. But wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It plants seeds of peace and will reap a harvest of righteousness. So James just tells us there's two kinds of wisdom here, right? Each kind of wisdom has a source. One's from heaven, one's from hell. Each has a nature, a character that's described. One is loving, the other is proud. One is humble, the other is selfish. One is gentle, the other is harsh and boastful and deceptive. One is full of mercy and good deeds, the other is full of jealousy, selfish ambition, disorderly and evil. See, like faith, wisdom bears a fruit, and the fruit is shown by our works, just like faith is shown by our works. It's visible, it's tangible, it's on display for all to see, it's vital. Wisdom has feet, it has hands, it's active, it moves, it works. It causes us to make decisions that are observable in our own lives and in the lives of others. And godly wisdom sows peace like seed. It spreads a harvest of righteousness. The Apostle Paul, he opens most of his letters with grace and peace, a blessing of grace and peace. It's what we all need, amen? So biblical wisdom, you, you can't get very far uh, without thinking of Proverbs 1. I'm just going to read some things here to you from Proverbs 1. Uh, I encourage you. I gave you an outline. Hopefully you've got a copy of it. There's more on the table. I, I can make you some more if you need them. But uh, Proverbs, follow along with me. Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of the wise. To receive instruction and in wise behavior. Righteousness, justice, and integrity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise person will hear and increase their learning. A person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom says in the Living Bible. Does a man, how does a man become wise? The first step is to trust the Lord and to revere him. So in our culture, there are many people and many ideas that completely reject the notion of God. Our culture's in a moral free fall because we've rejected the fear of the Lord. We've rejected any sense of righteousness or integrity. We see our whole government slipping further and further into a popular agnostic point of view. And it's just a poor place to govern from. If, should I legalize a casino because I can get the tax revenue? I work in government. It, it just grieves me the decisions our governments are making. Should I legalize drugs just because I can get a tax revenue off of it? it it's, it's, where's, where's the government's role of protecting and valuing people and, and standing up for what's right? And what's, you know, it, it just it boggles my mind where we're headed as a culture. And, and so this point of view, you see it in Psalm 36. It says, transgression speaks to the ungodly in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Whew, wow. 
There is no fear of God before his eyes. You see this phrase used too on the thief on the cross. The two thieves beside Jesus as he's being crucified. And the one scolds the other says, Is there no fear of God before your eyes? The man's standing, you know, dying. Is there no fear of God? One says to the other. So this concept of that, that there's a respect, there's a deep value for the things of God and a value for God. It governs our behavior. Psalm 36 goes on. says, for he flatters in his own eyes. He flatters in his own eyes concerning the discovery of iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He ceased to be wise and ceased to do good. He plans wickedness on his bed. He sits himself on a path that is not good. He does not even despise evil. Contrast that with verse 5. Talks about God. It says, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house. You give them to drink the river of your delights. With you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. Ooh, two very different points of view, isn't it? One man respects God, the other doesn't. And you see all these resources that the Lord wants to give to you, right? That the Lord wants to, to, to drink of God's abundance, to live in his house, to, be, to, to, to see light as God sees light, as, as God is light, right? All these resources of God that that he makes available to us. Think about Solomon. This is 1 Kings 3. I'll just read it for you real quick. 1 Kings 3. God comes to Solomon in a dream, says, Solomon, what would you like? What's your request of me? This is his response in verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king in thy place of thy father David. Yet I am but a little child. Wow. He's the king of the country. And he says, yet... I am but a little child. The humility that he embraces as he carries into the office to try and govern. I do not know how to come out or go in. Thy servant in the midst of thy people is thou hast chosen a great people. It can't be numbered or counted for the multitude. So give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of thine? And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked for this thing. You know, do we ask the Lord for wisdom? Do we listen? Do we ask him for it? It's a pleasing thing for him to give it to us. Right? The example of Solomon. Another example here in, in Proverbs. So since Solomon, King Solomon, he writes the book of Proverbs. And uh, you see there that wisdom is personified in Proverbs 1, verse 20 through 3. Through 23, it's good woman wisdom. I used to teach devotions with my kids. I said, good woman wisdom, you need to listen to her. And her voice sounds a lot like your mother's. Right? Good woman wisdom. She shouts in the streets, verse 20. She raises her voice in the public square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. She says, how long, you naive ones, will you love simplistic thinking? How long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Turn to my rebuke. Behold, I pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you. Good woman wisdom. As a good father in Proverbs 2, 
My son, if you receive my sayings, treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. You can just see a dad begging with his kid. Hey, hey, will you listen, kid? Will you li- I want to teach you. I want to teach you. I want to show you. I want to help you. I'm not trying to hold you down. I'm trying to build you up, right? As a good dad. If you seek for her as silver and look for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. Proverbs 3. Long life is in her right hand, wisdom. And in her left hand are riches and honor. All her ways are pleasant and her paths are all peace. She's a tree, to life, a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are those who hold on to her. The Lord founded the earth by wisdom. He, he established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the ocean depths were burst open and the clouds drip with dew. My son, see that you, they do not escape from your sight. Comply with sound wisdom and discretion. There will be life to your soul, adornment around your neck. You'll walk securely. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you won't be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You will not be afraid of sudden danger or the trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. Amen? That's what wisdom does for your saints. Encouragement from the Proverbs to seek wisdom. Do you want to be wise? You have to seek it. It doesn't happen by accident, right? You have to seek it. You have to ask for it. But God freely gives it. Let me take you back to the text in James 3, verse 17. I was... uh, I was thinking about this, and just in my preparation, let me give you an illustration. I, I, I kind of, now, now, young people, I'm sorry. This is a map. You'll, you'll find it at the antique store or in my truck, right? I still love them. Why? But why do I still love a map? Well, I can, you know, your GPS will tell you. But, but see, I can get a, a bigger frame of reference. I, if I look at it, yeah, isn't that nice? The old people, you appreciate them, right? Right? So it had funny little lines on it, and it told you the way to go, right? You would have to sit down. You'd have to think about, well, where am I going? Where do I want to go? How do I get there? And if you were really humble, you would have to pull into a gas station and ask someone how to get there. Do you remember those days? And the wife's saying, will you pull over? And we've been by this intersection three times. It's got to be here somewhere, right? Right? We can laugh at ourselves. And then they, they put them in a big book. So then you think, dream about all the places you want to go, you know? So, old stuff, I know. But, but wisdom helps you get there. But I was thinking about this passage, and I kind of I wanted to turn the map upside down for a minute. And then look at these attributes. Wisdom in front of love is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And instead of thinking about this as human wisdom, as, as us interacting together. No, 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 let me turn this upside down and let me think about this from God's, it's the wisdom from above. It's God's wisdom. These are his attributes. So what I've given you on your paper is more or less a Bible study of thinking about how God is pure, how God is peace-loving, how God is gentle, willing to yield, See the things you see here. You think back to James 1, verse 17. It says, in him there's no variation or shifting shadow. Right? 
Mark 3, verse 9. Or 9, verse 3, backwards. Think about the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus was with Peter, James, and John. He brought them up on a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them. His garments become radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared with him and Moses and they were talking with Jesus. That's how Jesus really is. He kind of doled himself down to come down here and be with us. But you think about the radiance of God, how he is pure. There's no variation, no shifting shadow. Right? Just to, to meditate on these. Hebrews 1 says he's the, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, expression of God's nature. It's just, it was a real rich study for me to slow down a minute and think about God's attributes being fulfilled in James 3. Peace-loving. What's John 14 say? Jesus is uh, addressing his disciples. He says what? He says this is on the night of his crucifixion. So he's about ready to go to the cross. He says what? Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You want the peace of God in your life? It's right there. It's in Jesus. That's where peace is found. Gentle at all times. Think about the character of Christ. Uh, reading here from Matthew 12. Matthew 12, I think verse 9 or so. No, here it is, 18. Well, verse 9 gives us, this is the, um, the account of where Jesus heals the man with the withered hand. And he heals, it happens to be a Sunday, and he's in the synagogue. This man, his hand is all withered up. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Heals him on the spot. What do the synagogue officials do? They, they praise him? They, no. They go outside and they start thinking about how can we destroy him? They're jealous of Jesus. They want to do away with him. So it's this act of mercy on Jesus' part that costs him his life, that begins to unspiral to where we end up at the cross. Now, we know that's the divine plan of God at the end. But the mercy of Christ that's shown there. And then this prophecy is fulfilled. It says, Behold, my servant whom I am chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel. He will not cry out. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not put out. What a gentle Jesus. What a wonderful God we worship. A smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles, like you and me, will hope. One version says the nations will hope. So just thinking about the character of God. Rich in mercy. You think about uh, when the kind, Titus, the verse in there in Titus 3. says when the kindness of God appeared, he saved us. Uh, the Luke 10 reference is the Good Samaritan. What's he say? He says, who showed mercy to the, to the man on the road? Right? And he asks the man, says, well, you go and do the same. Right? Because the man says, well, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to show love to? God says, you go and do the same. You be full of mercy. You give your life away. Ephesians 2. That's the phrase in there. But God. Uh, it says, you were lost in your transgression and sins. But God stepped in and saved you. Let me, show you. Let me read you that one too. Ephesians. 
It's just so rich to think about the character of God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together in Christ, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what God's done for us. So when we look about all these attributes of God fulfilled here, we stand back and take a look at, at his character. I don't know about you, but I can't go down this list very far before I see my shortcomings, right? That, that Mike is not pure. Mike at times isn't peace-loving. Maybe Mike isn't gentle at all times. See, we, so, we fall so far short of the heart of God, don't we? I'm humbled, I'm broken by my pride, my stubborn arrogance, my unwillingness to listen at times. And consider how far my life is from the, from the heart of God. 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells me, a, so, a godly sorrow produces repentance. That's what we need, is a godly sorrow that takes us back to God. Remind us of James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. How, how do we receive God's wisdom? What are the things that, that help us well, just like we're doing, read God's word. Consider God's word. Consider God's point of view on your life. That I hold my life up to the mirror of scripture and I say, oh, oh that's a good, I gotta, there's things I need to do. But it's not legalism, is it? It's not that I'm adding these things to my life. It's no, I need a transformation from the inside out. I need God to invade. I need God to help me that it's, that it's, that it's a whole regeneration of that's what God wants to do. His heart transplant, right? He wants to give us his heart for people and his heart. So to read God's words, to pray, to seek godly counsel, these are things that help us gain in wisdom. And then the fruit of wisdom that's displayed in planting seeds of peace. Do you do that? In our divided culture and so many things going on, political, racial, socially, economic, do we plant seeds of peace? You know, if you plant beans, you'll get beans. You plant corn, you'll get corn. If you plant peace, God says you'll get peace. And a harvest of righteousness. It will, it will bring about a righteous life, a life that's pleasing to God. That's what he wants us to do. If you're a wise person, you're a peacemaker. Right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew from the Beatitudes. So that's Wisdom. Sow seeds of peace. I was thinking about this and how wisdom is so much like a pilot. Not an airplane pilot, but a ship pilot. And you may not be aware of this, but you know, you think about this vessel, this thing is, this ship, it's, it's hundreds of feet long. I mean, it's not like your car where you can drive it and you can see all the way around it. No, 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 you're driving it and the bow is way out there, way out there across 108 somewhere is where the front of that ship is. Well, how do you drive that thing in a harbor where it's unfamiliar, right? What are the risks? Well, you could run over a little boat easily. You could run into a rock and it pokes a hole in the bottom of the ship and then you're going to be sinking, right? There's dangers. It's treacherous. You don't know the harbor. So what do ships do? Well, they call a pilot. Now, he's very familiar with the harbor. He's got a chart. He knows where the tides are. He knows where the currents are. He can navigate that ship safely to its destination. Saints, that's like Jesus. 
isn't it? Because it takes some humility on the part of that captain to step aside and say, here's my ship. You take it. You take me the rest of the way. There's some humility there, right? That we would pause, that we would recognize our need for help. I urge you to consider Jesus Christ as your pilot. He's the best one to call from our the little boat of the little rowboat of our lives, right? And say, could you come on board? Could you help me to navigate my way through life here? Would you would you would you help me? So I'm not beating a dull axe against a piece of wood. No, I want my life to count. I want my strokes to count. Ask him to come on board, to lead, to guide, that we would be submissive to his direction. Amen? Lord, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your character. Character so deep and so wide, we can't even plumb the depths of it. Thank you that you live out the things that you call us to do. You've already lived them out. You've already emptied yourself and shown us the right way to live. We ask you for your help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.